You are listening to Talking Machines. I'm Catherine Gorman. And I'm Ryan Adams. And today we, we have a kind of a big announcement on the show, so we're going to do things a little differently than we usually do. Um, this is Ryan's last episode co-hosting the show. That's right. And taking over from him going forward will be Neil Lawrence, who's, who's also with us. Thank you. So we wanted to take the opportunity to, uh, to interview Ryan because we've never done that on the show before. So, Ryan, we ask all of our guests the same question first. How did you get where you are? Uh, let's see. So uh, I, I grew up in Texas, and I, uh, I went to MIT for my, my undergrad, and I uh, got my degree in electrical engineering and computer science. And it was, I should say it was, it was not a smooth trajectory through my undergrad. I, I uh, got kicked out a couple of times. But eventually, after uh, you know, spending some time in industry and, and sorting some things out, I, uh, I eventually went back. And I um, was, was really excited about artificial intelligence and related ideas. And I had this very sort of distinct moment at which I, I sort of uh, started down the path that has led me to sort of like uh, to, to, to be a machine learning researcher, which is that there was a used bookstore in Davis Square in Somerville, um, Massachusetts, this, that is now long gone. And um, we were sort of like poor students wandering around this... Uh, this used bookstore, kind of like looking at books as one does, and uh, uh, and there was this there was this book called um, called Talking Nets, an oral history of neural networks, and this was a book that contained a series of interviews that had been conducted with uh, the people who uh, were responsible for the first round of uh, of sort of neural network research, and uh, so no mention of deep learning and so on in this. Uh, and it had interviews with Terry, Terry Sanofsky and Jeff Hinton. So I, I read this book and I thought, this is the stuff. This is the thing that I, I really want to get into. And it also had like an interview with Jerome, Jerome Lettman, who was this kind of neuroscientist and one of the people who worked early on with like McCullough and Pitts. Mm. And he had said, at some point in the book, he was kind of emeritus at MIT, and in his interview at some point, he said, oh, if only, if only some undergrad would come work with me to do, like, this, you know, cat neural system analysis stuff. And I was like, I am I'm an undergrad at MIT. I can go. I'm going to be this guy. I'm an undergrad. And, uh, and, and so I Wait, wait, him. this was a second-hand bookstore. Yeah. So, so how long after the book published is this? I, I'm not sure when the book came out. Um, I think it was like mid '80s, something. No, later. 19, oh, yeah. 1998. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and so I tried to track track him down to no avail. Um, although a couple of years later, uh, in a very bizarre sequence of events, I was on a deep sea fishing boat in the Gulf of Mexico with my family, and uh, the guy standing fishing next to me on this boat. You know, as, you know, through small talk, as you do, he, he sort of, you know, introduced himself, told him I was an undergrad at MIT. And he's like, oh, maybe you know my uncle. Do you know Jerry Leffin? And I was like, what? I thought you were going to say he, he was going to ask, he asked you to help him with a project, and it turned out to be Jerry Leffin. No, no, this was much younger. This was like Jerry Leffin's nephew. <laughs> and uh, and I, I was absolutely floored by the fact that it didn't like, the Gulf, 40 miles out in the Gulf of Mexico, I am like, you know, 
met the like the nephew of this guy I've been trying to track down in Cambridge, Massachusetts, uh, and unsuccessfully. And uh, and so then he like sent an email intro and um, and invited me to uh, a dinner that turned out to be very uncomfortable. And uh, because he was actually like not that interested in having an undergrad who cared about science, like at this point, it was like quite a bit later, and he was kind of not doing not you know not active at that point. Um, nevertheless, it was a really strange coincidence. What I did, what did succeed was I, um, I emailed the, uh, one of the authors of the book named Charles Anderson, who's at Brown, uh, doing sort of cognitive science and it was spring break. And he just said, Hey, you know what you should do is, is just come down, come down and hang out with me at Brown. Like, you know, and, uh, for a day and just, you know, we can talk about this stuff, which in retrospect is unbelievably generous. I mean, at the time, I, I felt like it was generous, but as I've become a, like a busy professor, I've come to appreciate that I would essentially never do that for an undergrad. <laughs> um, you know, and I mean, I don't know, maybe it was a different, you know, different career stage for him or something, but, uh, but nevertheless, he made time for me to like come down and hang out and have lunch and sort of meet other people and things at Brown and in a way that I, I'm actually kind of floored by. And, uh, and let me sort of like tell him all the things I was excited about with neural networks and he was super patient and stuff. And uh, even though I was a total nut job and, uh, and so then, and then I sort of was looking for, uh, you know, like, how can I get into this field? Like, you know, so this is like 2001 or two, this is 2002, spring of 2002. And, um, he, uh, he said, well, you know, MIT just hired this, this sort of, uh, you know, great young researcher named Joshua Tenenbaum. And you should, uh, you should track down Josh when you get back and see if, you know, if he'd be an interesting person to work with. And if that doesn't work, then um, why don't you try uh, another person to talk to is Leslie Kelbling. And so I got back to, so I got back to MIT and emailed Josh and he never replied. <laughs> which is hilarious because anyway, Josh and I, Josh and I now years later have like written papers together and co-advised students and things. He still doesn't um, reply to your email. He ne never replies to my email still, but uh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but then I emailed Leslie and again, very much like, like with, with Charles Anderson, you know, she replied and uh, let me become a part of her lab and would meet with, would meet with me regularly and gave me, career advice and let me like write a really crappy senior thesis and you know do the kinds of things that undergrads undergrads do and again I'm I'm floored by by her generosity so um in the lab at the time were some people who would go on to sort of start uh other labs and who would become well known in the field one of these people uh was a postdoc named Kevin Murphy who was uh, who was in I her lab at Kevin the time? Was. Yeah, so Kevin was a postdoc with Leslie. I, yeah, that's right. I'd, I'd forgotten. And um, and again, he was very patient with me. I mean, uh, I was playing with these robots, trying to sort of develop, you know, do some probabilistic modeling, policy search type stuff. That um, before it became hot again, uh, and and I very distinctly remember interacting with Kevin, where I was trying to estimate you know, where the walls were in the room based on this noisy sensor measurements from this big, like trash can sized robot. And, uh, and I was like, okay, well, you know, I take some measurements here and then the robot moves a little bit and then I take some more measurements. And now I've got two different kinds of measurements about where the walls are. How could I ever combine these things, these different, these different noisy measurements into one coherent estimate of where the walls are. And he's like, 
Bayes' theorem. And I was like, I don't know what that means. Well, I mean, I had seen it, right? Like, I had seen Bayes in this, you know, uh, in this... that's like, mainly what Bayes was about, like, working out how to move robots around rooms. Well, what it is about is this question that I found, I, I found this, like, this, like, deeply philosophically troubling. Like, which of these measurements of the world is the right measurement of the world that I can trust? How would I ever combine different sensor modalities into, like, a single observation model? Or, like, into a single, into a single model of the world? And, uh, and I had seen Bayes' theorem in, you know, in like probabilistic systems analysis classes. And, you know, and it just looks like an identity, which it essentially is. Uh, but but I, as I think we all like see, there's a gap between recognizing that this identity is true and appreciating what it means for problems like sensor fusion and collection of multiple observations of noisy data and things like that. And so it totally washed over me and I, I didn't get it at all and uh, went on with whatever ad hocery I was doing. So I didn't learn it. I didn't learn that from Kevin. It would have been a good, good person and moment to learn it. But, uh, but at a different time, I I talked to him about about where um, I should go to grad school, and he said he pulled out this copy of David Mackay's book, and that he had just written, and this is the information theory and you know learning algorithms book, and uh, and said I just got this amazing book from from David Mackay, who's really great and is at Cambridge, and you should. Uh, and you should check it out and uh, you know see you know see what he's about and and I didn't know who David was but I looked into some of the stuff and I thought okay you know this guy's doing some really cool things and he's in this amazing place and and uh, and so I uh, I emailed him and eventually arranged to come over to to Cambridge to to visit and and I sort of made concurrent arrangements to um, to visit a couple other places around and including uh, including the Gatsby unit in London. Uh, who rejected me? And uh, <laughs> the I don't think I don't think Peter Tai had like thought I was very interested in neuroscience. And uh, and I had this amazing be right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a good well done, well done, Peter. well done, well done. Peter. Um, well, they had a lot of applications. Yeah, well, and Zubin was there. And Zubin was there. And I had this amazing conversation. Again, this is like one of these things where you, you like unwind it later. And uh, you realize what you were talking about at the time, and and Zubin um, and Zubin was kind of like you know doing this sort of probing, somewhat technical conversation to see if like I would be a good grad student, and uh, he he said, imagine on the whiteboard that you he had developed some an points. English accent. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> he developed an English accent. Yeah. Well, I don't. I, I don't have an English accent. Imagine. <laughs> I, I don't. Yeah, with his like generic Western, yeah, yeah. American accent. Uh, imagine that you had a bunch of a bunch of points, like yeah. from a function, and you were trying to let's say you were trying to find the minimum of this function, and you didn't know exactly what the function was, and you know, and so what would be a good what would be some different criteria for thinking about how you might choose new points to evaluate. Uh, given that you don't know what the function is that would be that would be good for you know good at next points to try to find this minimum and uh and i got really wound up about not understanding the like how he could be reasoning about a uh, uh how he could be reasoning about the space of functions without reference to a particular finite basis let's say the uh well th that is to say that that he that without sort of thinking about what the particular finite regression model was. I was kind of like hung up on this and ended up, he and I ended up having an, an, a sort of, <laughs> I ended up not understanding uh, why you needed to look at tail probabilities of this, of this model and so on. 
anyway, the point is that uh, he was literally interviewing me um, based on whether or not I could I could sort of grok the idea of Bayesian optimization. Um, as took I you was, another eleven years. And and I and I was like I don't know I disagree like <laughs> and uh, on like and he was trying to get me to he was trying to get me to appreciate the idea of expected improvement. Uh, and I, I did not appreciate it. <laughs> and, and anyway, this is 2001, right? This is 2003 about 2003. now. Or yeah, this is 2003, uh, at this time. And, uh, but that wasn't like, he was kind of asking you questions that would have been considered fairly state of the art research. And you have, yeah, he was PhD. so, and, and I would say that the, actually he was trying to get me to talk about it without, uh, knowing what a Gaussian process was. And and I would not understand what a Gaussian process was for several more years, um, but that's a it's kind of tough to talk about Bayesian about flexible Bayesian regression when I had just finished misunderstanding Bayesian you know Bayesian modeling from Kevin Murphy, and uh, and also like didn't uh, certainly wasn't going to appreciate the non-parametric version of this. So so I, I got pretty like hung up on not understanding how Zubin could possibly be talking about these like super flexible models without parametric forms. Yeah. The, uh, and so I, I had a hard time seeing, seeing past that, um, in addition to misunderstanding other things. And so I, I, yeah, so this is another thing that I, in retrospect, I think is hilarious where he was, he was like essentially interviewing me on this thing that I, that like would later become a big, big part of my research program. And, uh, and, and in 2003, I, I think like it could have been, become a big thing in 2003, right? Because like all the pieces were there, right? Like, I mean, in fact, in fact, it could have, I mean, all the tools for this had been around for a while, but, um, and, and some folks had kind of written papers around this uh, Gaussian. I think there's a couple of Gaussian process optimization papers. And of course there's like Jones's work from the late nineties and so on. But yeah, I, anyway, he, he was trying to, I think I kind of feel me out as a potential grad student. And then, and, and obviously between him and Peter, I didn't succeed. And, uh, and so, but, da but David did accept me. Not interested uh, in neuroscience. And neither does he understand. And he doesn't understand anything about Bayesian optimization, <laughs> which was true. And, uh, the, uh, and and so, but David did did accept me. But um, I want, that's actually one thing that I think a lot of people don't realize because you're actually talking a lot about, you know, half of your story so far has been projection, or let's say two thirds of it. And I think that that's something which we all experience. All our stories are exactly well, and, and in the places where I wasn't in the place where I wasn't rejected, it was generosity. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but it, it's hard when for like grad students when they're going through the same thing as you to understand that this is yeah. what everyone else everyone else seems very successful yeah well you only see their highlight because reel, you don't because yeah. yeah you only see the positive yeah exactly. no that's right I, actually I, I think it's kind of important to talk about i think it's very about this stuff yeah. so david david decided that and, and in fact I, you know like john Wynn gave me this like tour a little tour of cambridge it was kind of it was a, it was a very nice visit and um and then i ended up deciding to go to deciding to go to cambridge um and then i started in i started in in um 2004, like fall of 2004, and at St. John's College. That was my college. Yeah. At Zubin's College, too. Yep, yep. Um, Steve Goals, and it's kind of like, Steve yeah. Steve Goals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, and that, that was really a lot of fun. Like, I, I have very, very fond memories of, of Cambridge. And David was, you know, you know, like we all do, I had a complicated relationship with David. Uh, or like we all we all have complicated relationships with our PhD advisors, and I had a complicated relationship with David. Um, and uh, you know, he's he's pretty demanding. Was he was very demanding from a technical point of view, uh, and I felt like I spent the first several years of my PhD um, 
with a combination of two kinds of things where uh, one is I would be sort of gradually reinventing things that were, uh, you know, that were like decades old. And, uh, or I would be trying to come up with new ideas that David could either instantly come up with a counterexample that demonstrated why this was a bad idea or sort of draw the simple little picture on the page that, uh, you know, in one minute that shows why it's a bad idea. <laughs> and, uh, and so I spent, and this, and this is, and this is one of those things that's frustrating as a grad student, but is a really fundamental asset of somebody like uh, of your PhD advisor is that they can rapidly give you insights into, into things you're working on, of course. But, you know, so very slowly, I felt like the horizon of like how long ago it was that the thing I'm reinventing was originally invented, that gradually started getting smaller. So initially I was inventing things that were like hundreds of years old, you know, and I would go to like the, you know, the like library at, at the Department of Applied Math and Theoretical Physics and find the book in which it was like, like considered obvious. And then gradually it became decades old. And then gradually it just became, you know, single digits years old. And then at some point, you know, I felt like I sort of like crossed over and was able to think of things that, that like uh, weren't already uh, weren't already in existence, and and this was about the time where I started sort of getting uh, you know getting excited about Gaussian processes, and part of this was certainly that um, uh, Neil, you came in and gave and gave a talk about your Gaussian process latent variable model. This would have been in about two thousand six, maybe five, and uh, uh, and I think in engineering, I think. And, uh, and I very distinctly remember you talking about, uh, you know, you showed, I think the, uh, some of the mocap stuff that yeah. you guys had done and some of the, uh, um, and some of the oil well modeling. Is that what it is? That was, uh, or oil processing. Oil flow. Oil flow. Three yeah. phases oil flow data. And, and so that was one of the, uh, I remember that being one of the, the sort of, um, ways I started to sort of understand what Gaussian processes uh, were about. And, and so I kind of became obsessed with this question that I think a lot of people had thought about, which was how to take, how to do density estimation with Gaussian processes. So uh, Gaussian processes are this very nice tool for thinking about regression. So, you know, interpolating between points in a flexible way. But we also, but some of the other kinds of problems we solve are density estimation. You see a bunch of points and you'd like to figure out kind of what probability density they have. Uh, and and this was really hard because it placed constraints on, on the Gaussian process that didn't exist in the regression setting, in particular that it would be um, that it that it would be to need to be non-negative and it would need to integrate to one, and that's that's a very awkward thing to ask from a Gaussian process. And I spent a lot of time trying to think about how that might how that could possibly work, and uh, and variously kind of didn't you know didn't make a lot of progress on it for a long time, and I think I think quite a few people around at that time had been thinking about it. And sort of simultaneous with this, my, um, my wife was doing a PhD at Penn State University in biological anthropology. And so we had a, um, a marriage, a transatlantic marriage uh, that really sucked. Uh, and, and so at some point, I just decided that it was time to, it was time to move, back to the, move back to the States. And David didn't really approve of this, but um, I decided I was gonna try to like, continue working and write up and everything from from Pennsylvania and uh, and at some point I sort of felt like I, I kind of at least partially kind of cracked the nut around around how to deal with some of these constraints on Gaussian processes as they relate to density estimation and then started working with Ian Murray um, on the stuff who at that time had started a postdoc in Toronto 
and wound up uh, um, kind of ended up writing a thesis about about this kind of thing for which you were you were an examiner uh, about sort of density estimation and ultimately like Poisson intensity estimation and semi-supervised learning and some other things. And I, and I was I felt very lucky um, that I'm sort of in this time, you know. So so David was this amazing advisor from a technical point of view, but. I didn't feel like I got a lot of guidance from him on, on professional things. And there were just a couple of, again, like very lucky things that in retrospect sort of blow me away. And one of them was that uh, Zubin, Zubin Garamani, would, uh, <laughs> who had rejected me from Gatsby a few years earlier, uh, would, would spend about a month, a year or thereabouts um, at Carnegie Mellon. CMU, yeah. And in Pennsylvania. And it wasn't that close to Penn State, but it was close enough that I could I could drive out. And because he was away from the group, even though he's a very busy guy, uh, you know, he was kind of isolated a little bit and didn't have his students with me. And so, uh, he would amazingly make time to to meet with me when I would like when I would go out there. And we could, and so he helped me sort of think about things that would become my thesis and some other work, and 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 in particular helped me think a lot about about kind of what to do professionally. Uh, and and kind of how to how to think about whether I wanted to become an academic and and like how to actually actually do that the kind of guidance that you know D David just wasn't really well well suited to give and so I had this kind of incredibly lucky uh, coincidence of of getting this amazing technical you know uh, technical advising and mentorship from David that had a tremendous influence on on my life uh, while also having really amazing sort of professional well and still also technical guidance from Zubin but but I don't know how I would have navigated anything like in the absence of of, of Zubin making time for me in uh, in Pittsburgh and um, and so I wound up you know writing my thesis and and along the way as I was kind of doing that went up to Toronto to visit to visit Ian Murray who was there and via those trips um, managed you know met Jeff Hinton and um, and Rich Zimmel and Brendan Fry and was very fortunate that they sort of uh, ended up liking me enough to help me get uh, a CIFAR junior research fellowship. Uh, and this was kind of a funny thing because the world has changed a lot since then. When, this was like 2009, I guess, 2008, 2009. And uh, CIFAR, this Canadian Institute for Advanced Research, was the, the kind of the funding kernel for what would become deep learning. Yeah, this was four years in to the grant yeah, or something, right? Yeah, this was a few years in and um, into the, the rebranding. And, uh, you know, and, it, and this was the sort of very explicit sort of cabal formed by, by Jan and Yashua and Jeff to try to jumpstart interest again. But importantly, in with a very visionary grant that backed them for 10 years. Absolutely. A, that in an area that no one was looking at it was it was I mean, actually they were looking at i thought it was kind of cool but it was a big bet i totally agree uh, so it was the neural computation and adaptive perception program the ncap yeah. program and uh that they had given these guys who were in many ways like kind of out of favor right like they were working on things that weren't at that time very mainstream i mean and uh, you know when they gave the grant a few years earlier, and this was as you say, this was a few years in, and and this program is the thing that funded my postdoc, like just yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think directly. I wrote your letter for that. That's almost certainly true. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, I think this is a story that I think I sent initially someone else's letter to Jeff instead of your letter. 
And Jeff and Fred, oh, I think you, you seem to have sent me the, the wrong letter. Very nice letter, but <laughs> I, I don't think it's going to be. I don't know how I did that. And uh, yeah, anyway. Yeah. yeah. So I had, an, I, I had an amazing time in Toronto. And, and then Brenda did this. My wife did the same kind of thing where she, she wrote up her PhD thesis from, from Toronto. And uh, much to the chagrin of her PhD advisor. And it was an amazing time to be in Toronto for so many reasons. Uh, one of which was, this was a couple of years. So this was like 2000, sort of 2009, 10, 11, where people were starting to realize that neural networks were good for stuff again. And GPUs were just emerging, you know, Alex Krzyzewski, you know, nobody's really thinking about these things. And, and then I think Alex Krzyzewski went and took like some kind of training course with NVIDIA. I mean, this, this may be wrong, but, but my recollection is he went and took some training course and then wrote, you know, CUDA ComNet, like kind of wrote the, mm. some of the software that, that would allow you to do ComNets with, with uh, GPUs. And, um, and at the same time, George Dahl was, was there as a grad student working with Jeff started to tackle uh, started to tackle speech recognition and there was just this kind of like and Ilya Seskiver was there Hugo La Rochelle was there Marco Aurelio Ranzato and Ian of course and uh, Danny Tarlow Jasper Snook and and so there was this great it happened to be the case that they had this great set of postdocs and um, some of it was because the the NCAP program but also because the for complicated reasons, you know, Sam Royce had left, had left Toronto and had been at Google and then at NYU and, and then of course he passed. And um, but one of the side effects of that was that they kind of had Sam's money that had to be spent, I think, and um, and they they used it to to get postdocs like I thought like like Ian, I think. Now I think something really interesting about which I really like because I think it's so true, but again, it's people are unaware of how true it is. 90% of your story so far has been about people. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we've, had, we've talked about like two or three ideas which you've, you've touched on and, and you got interested in those ideas because of people. And I guess a lot of people think that the whole thing's about ideas and maths and so on and so forth. But the communication of those ideas and the inspiration of those ideas is so much driven by people. And you say lucky. You say, oh, I was lucky when this thing happened. But I think part of that, you're kind of quite a personable guy. And when you show up, you know... Yeah. <laughs> Certainly inoffensive. <laughs> People enjoy having you around, and, and, and when that's true, then they share things with you. And uh, people really enjoy working with people that they get along with, and, and that's a real core thing. You know, that's almost more important than any idea. And this is something I never knew. You just sort of think before you start in science. Well, it's going to be all about. It's going to be all about the ideas and not about the people. But the people are pretty important, aren't they? Well, I don't know. How, I mean. The ideas are a lot of fun. I love the I love the the science of this, but um, well, and also use as you point but out, it, David's touch on the ideas was vital. Yeah, yeah and it's just, uh, but day to day, what makes it fun, right, is is the people you work with, and one of the really wonderful things about being a scientist and being an academic is that you get to choose who you work with, right, and uh, you know if if somebody's if there's a collaboration you're not having fun with or like, or there's a good friend that's also in the field. And these are situations where you can not collaborate with one person and, and start a collaboration with somebody else. And you have this confidence that, ah, oh, you know, you guys will be able to come up with something fun to work on. And what I think is most interesting is to surround myself with a set of friends where we all love kind of the same kind of science. And that's why I love coming to NIPS. 
I come here to see my friends who love the same kind of science as me. But the other thing is that the intertwinedness of these stories, because I never really thought about it either. You were talking about Ilya and Alex and, and the GPU, and of course we're just on the cusp of the, the deep net revolution or the, 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 I mean, it was ongoing, but the moment where it hit outside the field. Yeah. Um, and of course you have a, and it also, in some sense, you're about to tie the story back together, so I should let you get it back on in terms of uh, what you published that same year, which uh, is one of the most cited NIPS papers as well. It, it's true. I mean, in that, in that work, sort of the kernel of that, we definitely, um, you know, definitely grew out, of, grew out of Toronto because that set of people was, we, even though we went our separate ways, um, so this is Jasper and Hugo, uh, you know, we, we started working together in, um, at that time. So yeah, so it was just a very, uh, you know, it was, it was a golden era for, for that group in Toronto. Y you know, different groups, different, uh, different places go through different kinds of golden eras and you can kind of in retrospect see when it was just the right people at the right time all together and, and, and without a doubt, that larger machine learning community in Toronto over that span of years, that was a, that was a really great time. So when did you go to Harvard? That was so I, I went to Harvard in 2011 um, and, uh, yeah, and started building a group there. Uh, in the in the School of Engineering and Applied Sciences in, in 2011, and um, in it over the next sort of several years, managed to yeah get some very very great grad students and and postdocs and and have a lot of fun doing a lot of different kinds of things. One of which was the stuff you re referred to, which is um, this work on Bayesian optimization that we spent quite a lot of time thinking about and ultimately founded a, a startup um, centered on uh, that we then sold to to Twitter. You know, and that that work was—it's um, a funny kind of thing because really, what we were doing when we did that work was trying to solve a problem for ourselves. You know, we we were in Toronto. We were working on deep neural networks. You know, as you do, and we had some we had some crazy idea on how to regularize a convolutional neural network, like some. You know, if we introduced these twelve hyperparameters into a convolutional neural network, then maybe that would be a really good idea. And then it was kind of, well, shit, how are we going to set these hyperparameters? <laughs> and, uh, and so then I remember Yashua happened to be visiting or something, kind of came into the office and he was like, ah, what if you use Bayesian optimization? Because I think he was thinking about how to set hyperparameters kind of at the same time, and, but had done a kind of, a, I think Bayesian optimization maybe hadn't worked for him, for, for, for the stuff he had wanted to do. Um, but it sort of happened to coincide also with work like Ian and I had been doing on Gaussian processes and MCMC. And so I think we had a kind of a good set of tools for handling the, the computations of Gaussian processes. I think we kind of, we were just right on the moment with elliptical slice sampling and, and other kinds of ideas to, uh, to be able to kind of do MCMC that worked in a sense for GPs that had been harder before. And it was just things were kind of like right at the right, just happened to be there at the right moment where there was a set of problems that people really cared about that were kind of hard. And a couple of, uh, you know, relatively small technical insights on, for, for ideas like Bayesian optimization, they've been around for a long time, but as importantly as anything, just like wrote a piece of software and then put it out and like made it available. And it, that is a wildly underrated thing to do is to write a relatively simple piece of code that's meant to solve actually, that's meant to solve problems that people have. Like that's the thing, like write a tool that's useful and then make it available to people and, um, and you will, it seems like you will often discover that the problems you think you have are just not that unique and that people might well be very happy that you release this tool and, 
Uh, and so I think that's kind of what happened there. there were, I don't think it represents a breakthrough really, um, but kind of a lot of little things that made it practical. And in fact, the word practical wound up going into the title of the paper because that was kind of the point. Like here's a kind of like a, um, it's an applications paper for machine learning. That is, we're going to treat machine learning seriously as an application itself and and try to make offer some practical considerations for 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 solving these problems. So, Ryan, thank you so much for being a part of the show, helping to create it for your, all the time and energy that you've put into it. It's been really amazing to work with you. It's really been a lot of fun. And, Neil, I'm looking forward to working on the show with you and, and seeing how it evolves over the next season. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. They're, they're big shoes to step in. In fact, they're sort of large cowboy boots, which I certainly Indeed, could never yeah. wear. So uh, I, I think... Ryan's done a, a tremendous job, and the, the entire idea is, is, is fantastic, so I just hope I can do some justice to the idea. It won't be as good. I can't wait to tune in. <laughs> well, that's it for us this week. I'm Catherine Gorman. And I'm Ryan Adams. And I'm Neil Williams.